Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Am Set It Podcast with me, Amber Green. Listen to me as I meet with community leaders, politicians, and activists and have the uncomfortable conversations about race, politics, and current events. Here's a fun fact. As of May 20th, 2019, 730 candidates have filed with the Federal Election Commission to run for president of the United States of America. You heard right. 730 candidates have filed with the FEC to run for president of the United States of America. Now, all this is according to Ballotpedia.org. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you should. It's a digital encyclopedia of American politics and elections, and they have the full list of every candidate that has registered with the FEC and their party affiliation. Now, when you learn something like that, It makes focusing on just the 26 elected officials and notable public figures feel a little less daunting. However, whether it's 26 or 730, it's important to be informed and aware. For my debut episode of the Amsetta podcast, I am all about that 2020 vision. Of those 26 candidates we know about, 24 are Democrats and two are Republican. Now, in February 2018, a poll found that 1% of Black respondents prescribed themselves as Republicans, compared with the 59% who said they were Democrats, while 21% answered none of these. Now, the majority of Blacks said that they were a moderate, about 44%, or conservative, 27%, while just 26% said they were liberal. After more than two decades operating at the nexus of politics, policy, and government, Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings was elected chair of the Maryland Democrat Party in December 2018. Now, prior to leaving the party, Dr. Rockamore Cummings spent her career advising and working with organizations fighting for social justice. I first met Maya during a dinner with fellow community leaders and a conversation about engaging young black voters started at that table. And I wanted to continue it right here on the Amsetta podcast. How did you get into politics and what sparked that fire? I got into politics. My parents were always politically conscious. Um, We talked about and watched politics uh, in my household growing up, and that was primarily because, uh, you know, my parents were just naturally inclined towards um, civic engagement and political activity, but um, we were military. My dad served in the United States Air Force for 20 years, and so with that, you know, we literally lived around the country and the world, and geopolitics, what was happening at the macro level of our society, always influenced um, where, uh, you know, what the military was doing, and so we naturally paid attention. Uh, the other part of that is that, um, you know, I ended up going to undergraduate at a historically black college in Texas, uh, Prairie View A&M University. Uh, and I majored in political science, and within my first year, I was on the political science club, and, and uh, within my, by, by the second year, I was the leader of the political science club, and I was actually tapped to actually run a local campaign, and um, the, we registered a lot of people to vote, a lot of uh, students to vote uh, for that campaign. And uh, when it came time for the elections, it turns out that the person that I uh, campaigned for lost, 
However, shortly after the elections, the police officers from the county that the HBCU is located in came and arrested 13 students. Wow. Uh, they were all African-American students. And they booked them at the local jail, and they basically said that they voted fraudulently. Uh, and because, you know, I was responsible, um, you know, I, I had helped her uh, run a voter registration drive, I, I just felt very responsible to make sure that um, that these students were um, were not hung up to dry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we basically marched uh, miles uh, to the local county courthouse to protest, uh, and we put up a fight. Um, I think that they were eventually exonerated, but it was a um, a wake-up call to me that even though the laws of the land said that the Voting Rights Act was in place and that voters uh, across the United States of color would be protected, uh, that we had to we have to remain constantly vigilant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that we get the access that we need, that our voters are protected at the polls, that those who are seeking to deny us access to the polls are thwarted at every turn. And so, you know, and Prairie View, by the way, remains, the students at Prairie View are perennially uh, challenged by the local Republican infrastructure and um, the political power. Uh, and so for years um, since, uh, and for, for years before that incident, uh, there continue to be issues facing Prairie View students who seek to vote. And that is why I'm also just, also just, you know, very disheartened by the fact that, you know, we have African-American young people across the United States, not just here in Maryland, uh, who don't really have an awareness or a care mm-hmm. uh, about voting, uh, even though it's one of our most important powers as citizens. So it sounds like your basically your whole life was set up to be a fighter. <laughs> to yeah. really just fight, fight for the people, fight for, like, the right to vote but really just for fight for equality and just making sure that every voice is heard and you know just to hear the situations with that campus it sounds so similar to the eastern shore <laughs> so the prairie campus is a very blue very democratic you know all african-american student body just like umes mm-hmm. uh in the middle of a red county run by a um basically uh, pretty much white Republican uh, power structure. That's pretty much UMES. <laughs> and so they have always been about the business of trying to limit the power of the Prairie View students. Voting uh, actually subverts uh, their, um, their power. Uh, and so they do everything in their power to um, undermine uh, the role of the students in local elections. How do we address you know, young people are coming up. They're not necessarily just wanting to go to Democrat or wanting to go to Republican. So, I mean, they're perfectly within their right. I mean, that's what every individual should do. They should assess what their value structure is. They should look at the history and the practices and the policies of the of the uh, parties that are out there. And then they should make that determination if where they stand. Um, and unfortunately, we have a situation where um, some young people, I think, are deciding that they're too confused or they don't have enough knowledge and when they're forced to choose sometimes it's at the department of motor vehicles when they're asked what party they want to register for uh they choose unaffiliated Mm -hmm. uh and what that ends up doing is disenfranchising 
uh, the, the vote uh, because unaffiliated voters can't actually participate uh, in Democratic or Republican Party primaries. Mm-hmm. And we essentially have a two-party system in the United States and in the, uh, in the state of Maryland. Uh, and so that means that you limit your ability to have a voice. Actually, you do not have a voice uh, in primary campaigns. So, for example, you couldn't determine, uh, you know, who, who, which Democrats should run for governor, for example, uh, or which Democrats should be eligible to be, you know, a, a U.S. senator. Uh, and so with that, you know, why disenfranchise yourself? Um, you know, I think that young people should educate themselves enough to know which party accurately reflects who they are and where they stand, uh, and then, you know, so, and choose it, um, and then vote and, and advocate uh, accordingly. Like, I know I volunteered on a lot of campaigns last election, and it was just always intriguing to hear the different vocabulary used to um, attract different voters or what to you know, questions like what would attract this voter or how would I get this group of people to come to this event? It's just interesting to see how race plays into this whole politics. So it does. And it's frankly, what's interesting is that it's it's acknowledged during the political campaigns, but once the governing apparatus is set, meaning that, you know, the election has been won and the policymaker is in office, um, then it's considered taboo to talk about, right. you know, race uh, in terms of how policies are structured um, and, and whether or not they're targeted to support or help out particular communities. Um, and so that is, a, it's an interesting dynamic. I think that the it, historically, uh, the race of candidates has played a role uh, for, you know, I would argue for both parties. Um, as you well know, uh, the history of the Democratic Party, basically in the 20th century, the parties flipped. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, the party of slavery was the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the party of, of abolition and freedom was the Republican Party. Uh, by the time FDR came around and presented the New Deal, uh, which you know focused on creating social welfare programs like Social Security and uh, you know um, you know other kinds of assistance for low-income people and and, and poverty alleviation programs. Uh, slowly, we saw a transition uh, where the party of uh, of support for those in need uh, became the Democratic Party. Yeah, uh, and the party of of those who you know were resistant uh to those in need became the republican party yeah and that's actually i just actually watched a movie the other day called all the way and it was following um the presidency of lyndon b johnson it's an hbo film it was um it was made in 2016 and i was watching it and it was so crazy to me to see how history repeats itself but there was this um, consistent theme of the generational divide but also in the movie um, it showed basically what you were just explaining like that that change in the in the parties because there was definitely some southern democrats who resemble a lot of republicans today right. um, and then it almost makes you wonder like how much did that administration for that state change in those years or it, it, it kind of makes you like really question um if you can really trust the democrat party as a whole so the dixiecrats those are the the more is that the name for them yes they're called dixiecrats 
and uh, basically they're holdovers, people who really never changed their registration from even though the Republican Party shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, there is still an element uh, of the Democratic Party, and they're called Dixiecrats, who still have Southern sentiments, meaning that they align themselves with the more kind of racially intolerant views uh, that we currently see in the uh, in the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, and you know, frankly, I've been traveling all across the state of Maryland, and I've heard several times uh, on the Eastern Shore uh, that there are Dixiecrats that still exist um, on the Eastern Shore. Yep. Um, <laughs> And that, uh, and that you see it play out in terms of how they vote and, and even in their actions in the community. Um, these are people who may never have, they just never switched their registration uh, to Republican, yet they still list themselves as Democrats, yet their sentiments more align with Republicans. Yeah, and, and it's crazy because that, that confusion causes so many young voters or African-American voters to kind of voluntarily disenfranchise themselves by putting unaffiliate. Because if you see someone who says they're a Democrat, but in their personal life or what they say on social media or how they make policy or legislation aligns with the opposite party, it's almost like, do I want to be one with, or do I want to be called, be in that group of fakes? And so it's, it's like this confusion causes uh, a lot, in my opinion, a lot of voters to not even want to take part because it's like, who, who do we trust? So the answer is, what are you going to own? Mm. It's not who do we trust, it's what are you going to own? And, and frankly, if we just maximize voter engagement, if we maximize participation in the apparatus, I mean, literally, we can take it over. Yeah. Uh, take it over in a way that drives uh, the politics of the party uh, in a way that fully supports and represents uh, where people stand. And, and when you stay on the sidelines and, and basically consent to what they want you to do, which is actually uh, forego your power by not participating, then you will continue to be confused. You will continue to be distrustful because you're not driving anything. You're not participating. You're not involved in setting the direction or the agenda. And frankly, that's that's capitulating. That's giving them what they want. And and so the, the, the challenge now mm-hmm. is to change that paradigm. Yeah. Step up and and own it. Own own the politics. Own the policy. Drive the politics in a way where it works for you and your community. So what do you say to a young um a young black teen who's just turning eighteen but has not paid attention to politics his entire childhood, but they see that um, their cousin just got locked up and got a bunch of years in prison, but the white guy who owns this building just had his 15th DUI and only got um, maybe probation or something. What do you tell that person? It's like, how do I get, like, how do I get started? Like, all I know is that my family is hurting. I'm hungry. Um, I'm worried about my life right now. How do you want me to get involved into something that's not immediate? So district attorneys are in in most jurisdictions around the state and the country are elected. And if you don't like the way that the local criminal justice system is working, you have have a chance to actually elect 
uh, a, a, a DA and here in Maryland, they actually call them state's attorneys mm-hmm. uh, who actually um, reflect your values and will, who will uh, pursue um, a, an agenda that will ensure that there are no double standards in how the law is applied. Uh, what currently frustrates many African-Americans when it comes to our criminal justice system is, is that there are huge double standards. Mm-hmm. Um, something that one person might do who looks a certain way will get a slap on the hand and the same activity by another person who looks another way will actually result in jail time. And, and those double standards are, are actually determined uh, and are often dictated uh, by officials whom we elect. But when you're not participating in the electoral process, you're basically ceding uh, your ability to um, determine who gets in those seats and, and how they practice yeah. and implement the law. And so this is just another argument for why people can't sit on the sidelines. It's another argument for taking ownership over your future by engaging in the political system. Yeah, because it, it seems like because with our area and with Comico County, just because I work a lot with youth, there just seems like there's this huge cycle, repeated cycle of just my parents are in jail, my older brother's in jail, or is this is just, this is the environment that I was born in. So this is the environment that I'm going to live and stay in. And there's, there's just seems like this, this complacency, but also this theme of defeat. And I wonder if it's because of, I don't know, all those components that you were speaking of before, like, you know, the rural areas, um, Dixiecrats and just the confusion. It just seems like there's no concise, direct message going to the African-American community out here on the Eastern Shore. It just seems like there's this fend for yourselves. So I've noticed that, Um, you know, my visits to the Eastern Shore, I just, for me, it felt almost like stepping back in time, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming from, you know, areas like uh, D.C. and Baltimore, where you have more political activity uh, to actually, um, you know, um, going out and, and observing, uh, you know, life on the shore. It just feels very much like, um, you know, people are feeling very alienated from the system, that segregation is still basically in place uh, and that, you know, people feel um, very disempowered. And so, you know, my, my duty, my job, my task is to try to reverse that situation um, and to try to get people inspired um, with the knowledge that they can change uh, the situation if they get engaged. Now, I also feel fear mm-hmm. uh, that people feel that if they actually get involved, if they take the stand, if they, you know, do more uh, political activity, that there will be repercussions. We'll know this. Um, well, you know, I, that, that, that fear is that fear is very real because that's that's all that's almost like a, a personal. Well, for me, that's that's why I'm doing this podcast. Um, I because when I first met you, I was on the radio show. I was on the morning show and then I was not too long ago featured on a local newspaper um, for black leaders. And even though we're a hip hop radio station, we're in a very conservative rural market. So that means our clients are very conservative rural. Um, But just a few days after I was on that that news article, I was pulled off air. So it's it's a real it's a real fear. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like how how do we how do we get past the fear and how do we fix that like because the fear is justified. 
So the fear is justified because they can do damage to your career, they can do damage to your reputation, they can do damage to you, and all of that has an influence on your finances. And by the way, that can happen in D.C., Baltimore, yes. or the Eastern Shore. Um, and it does on a daily basis. But what I would argue is that, you know, when you look at the span of time and where they are trying to take us mm-hmm. or where they are trying to keep us, um, the... The fear uh, that we experience in terms of speaking up and speaking out in terms of what they can do to us career-wise needs to be weighed against the fear that we should all have about what the damage they're trying to do um, to our children's future, uh, to the future of our communities. Uh, And frankly, you know, if you are okay with us uh, returning to apartheid America. If you're okay with us um, being in a situation where our children, you know, cannot fully express themselves or be who they are in life or get the kind of development uh, that they need to be all that they can be, uh, then we can stay in our little boxes and remain fearful or we can break through uh, the fear and just continue to speak up and speak out. Um, and with the understanding that by speaking up and speaking out, um, that, that ultimately, um, what we're doing is, and although, you know, you might have some sacrificial lambs, uh, ultimately what we're doing is for the good of the community overall. Yeah. It's, it's, that's everything that I always had to say to myself. Like it was just worth it. I'm, I'm eager to see how we can get, especially the Eastern Shore youth and, um, you know, the, the black community members to get involved. Um, how do we get us to register to vote? And then how do we get us to vote? How do I energize the young community and the black community um, to register to vote, even when it's just a local election? What I think is, A, we need to make sure that we have Democrats running for every office that's open. Um, and, um, and B, if there are Democrats that need to be contested, then people should step up and contest them. Uh, C, um, voters need to be educated about, you know, what these roles are and how, what power they have over their lives, their everyday lives. Uh, what the city council does and how it influences how their lives are lived. And what the mayor's office does and how it influences their li- how their lives are lived. And then finally, um, there needs to be um, a big canvassing effort um, to register. Uh, We frankly need to do a better job on the Eastern Shore of getting people out there, uh, educating folks and asking them to register uh, and then turning in their voter registrations. Um, Now, the question becomes, what attracts people? You know, do you do this in the context of, and I would argue that you go to where the people are. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, events that are being held where there's going to be a large contingency of people there, uh, whether it's knocking on doors or or making phone calls uh, or, you know, whether it's, you know, um, somehow finding a way to connect with young people who are about to register to vote um, uh, and or or who are newly uh, eligible to register to vote and in making sure that they become registered as soon as they're eligible. So there are different strategies um, for doing this um, and we need to actually be executing on probably all fronts. Yeah, I, I would agree because I think from my from my experience and what from I've seen locally, it's kind of hard 
to tr- attract new voters or community members just to be intrigued by the information that's being provided when it costs $45 to go and we're in a low income area. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really, it's almost like to be involved in politics, you have to be of some elite stature or you have to know who's who. It, a lot of people just do not feel comfortable in these in these groups. And so I think that's one of the things that has to be addressed or looked at is not necessarily like how do we attract them, but once we attract them, how do we make them comfortable? How do we not alienate them? How do we not make them feel like they're a charity? Um, because that's that's how certain things come off. It doesn't come off like it's a community thing. It comes off like it's a charity thing. You have people who are outside of the neighborhood coming in just for this one event and you don't see them two or three days later i think there there needs to be like some consistency so the issue for me is why are we not driving our events Mm. and then to the extent that they come in they're you know they're just an added value to the meeting but why are we not organizing our own activities and events that we own Mm-hmm. Um, that address our issues and then inviting them to the table to explain what they're going to do to address it. Um, you know, to the extent that we're relying on quote unquote them to come in and host something and it's a charity. Yeah. That just shows, that just reinforces my earlier assertion that, um, you know, that we maintain a disempowered position. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if criminal justice is a, um, is a concern if student loans are a concern at UMES students if you know jobs are a concern and where are our political forums uh, where we're discussing these issues uh, demanding that local political office holders um, you know explain what they're doing uh, and then you know setting the stage and following up accordingly we can do this Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're looking and expecting for others to do it for us, we'll just get more of the same. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I think that's where it comes from, because when you look at who hosts public forums or um, political forums, it's just the same people who provide these events. And these people don't have these organizations already are having troubles trying to engage the community anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, then the question becomes is this, should there be a new youth driven organization that's focused on politics and yeah. policy? And that's and that's a that's something that I feel as though I have thought about, other young um, black community members have thought about. Um, and it seems like every time that conversation pops up, there seems to be like that whisper of like, are you recreating the wheel or you're you're creating more work or why don't you just collaborate? So there's that there's that generational divide so you got to me there's a there's always this generational gap right Mm -hmm. in every community and every place across the country um and but organizations serve different roles i mean there are the naacp is by nature um, comprised of older people who are more stable and set set in their careers who are less inclined to be risky in terms of taking on issues um, and they serve a role, you know, they're the quintessential insiders now because they have an established role in community that often involves working collaboratively with power structures. 
And yet there is a role for disruption too. Uh, there should be a role for another organization or two or three uh, that you know is able to be more risky. That, and it's a quintessential inside outside strategy. You know, you've got your insiders. Now, who are the outsiders who are willing to shake the trees um, and make sure that the questions that need to be asked are asked, um, that the actions that need to be taken are taken, uh, and the issues are not just brought to the forefront, but they're actually pursued to the benefit of community. Yeah, it's it's like trying to how to work with each other rather than working against each other. And, but in an inside-outside strategy yeah. role. Mm-hmm. And, in, and by the way, that inside-outside strategy does not have to be public knowledge either. I mean, even if it looks like there's dissension, that's fine. <laughs> right. Um, if the outcome ends up being what you want. Yeah, it's just, just being strategic all in all. That's exactly right. Wow, what a dope conversation with Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings. I I just love saying her name, Dr. Maya Rockamore Cummings. I mean, when I first met her, I was totally inspired. And honestly, she challenged me because I was definitely one of those young black voters who were really tired and annoyed of how our politics is happening right now. And you know, the conversation with her at that table and the one right now, it was it was so great. But you know what? I want you to join in the conversation. Did you vote last election? Why did you? What will it take for a candidate to gain your trust and vote? What issues is not getting enough attention from your current presidential candidates? I want you to listen. In fact, I think Sydney just sent in his message. Hi, my name is Sydney. Um... So I supported Bernie in the primary, but I supported Hillary in the election because at the end of the day, she was the better option than Trump. Um, and she adopted some of the progressive, some, some progressive ideas that Bernie was running on in the primary. So I, I, I went on to her. Um, as long as you are a progressive on all issues, I will support you. And if there's two issues I wish... Um, 2020 candidates would focus more on it's trans rights and police reform. Those are the two issues I wish 2020 candidates would focus more on and talk about. Thanks, Sydney, and special thanks to Dr. Maya Rockmore Cummings, chairwoman of the Maryland Democrat Party. I also want to thank you. Yes, you. Thank you for listening to my debut episode of the Amstead Podcast. This is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to provide a platform where I can talk about politics, race, and current events and have those uncomfortable conversations. What did you think? Leave me a message or email me at amsteadit at gmail.com. I am so interested to know what you thought about my debut episode. Again, thank you so much. And you know what? I'm just so happy. Yes, oh my God. Thanks for listening to the Amsetit Podcast with me, Amber Green. If you like the show and want to know more, check out amsetit.com or please leave me a review on iTunes. You can join me next time when we get uncomfortable with our conversations talking about race, politics, and current events.